for me, it's been figuring out what my strengths are and playing to my strengths instead of feeling like I always have to make up for my weaknesses. Because I spent a lot of time trying to get good at things that I'm not naturally good at and I made progress, but was always going to end up behind other people that those skills come naturally to. And realizing that I have a lot of strengths that other people don't necessarily have that are in demand. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 241 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women, and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Jesse Kingen. Jesse is an American who left the USA in 2008 at age 22 on what was meant to be a six-month or so adventure. After two and a half years traveling and teaching scuba diving in Thailand, Mexico, and Honduras, she settled in Iceland 11 years ago with her Icelandic husband, whom she met in Thailand. Jesse grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, but graduated from college in Durango, Colorado at age 18 with a double major in humanities, that was theater, music, and Spanish, and English communications or media studies. She doesn't work in any of the fields she studied, but in her own way, they each taught her something she needed to know. Now she owns and operates a restaurant, a hostel, an apartment hotel on the south coast of Iceland and has two kids, six and eight, and a puppy, 15 months old. During COVID, she started a vegan chocolatier and an experimental winery. Jesse, did I get all of that right? Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. I'm actually really interested to talk to you. It sounds like You've had a lot of experiences in your life, but before we go there, what was Jesse like as a child? 
So as a child, I did well in school because I love to learn new things. And that has sort of driven me onwards throughout everything I've done. I've learned something new along the way and, yeah, enjoyed school and did well, but then was told I needed to work harder and was very disorganized, but managed to get good enough grades because I did well on tests and I could pull good papers uh, just out of the air at the last minute when it got to assignments that, yeah, I needed to work on and, and provide papers. Um, when it came to routine homework assignments, I was terrible at remembering to do them or remembering to bring them with me to turn them in. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't to the point where anyone thought there was anything particularly unusual. Just the assumption was, yeah, just try harder and you'll do fine. So the adults in your life, whether they were your teachers and quite possibly your parents, they saw you as very bright, but maybe not living up to your potential because you didn't work as hard as they thought you should work. Yeah, I got a lot of that. Uh, and it sort of led to a perfectionism uh, that I wanted to impress everyone, uh, especially those who doubted me in any way. And it led to me being worried that if they saw behind the curtain how hard I had to work when they thought I wasn't trying very hard at all, that that sort of gave me a sense of perfectionism and a bit of imposter syndrome when people would tell me, you're so good at this, you're a natural. And I'm thinking, if only you knew I'm not a natural. I've been trying really, really hard and I don't want you to see that. So... Never let anyone see work in progress. Uh, just when it's finished to my high standard, then, okay, now you can see it and you can tell me it's, it's good enough. What about um, socially? Did you struggle at all in that room or are people your thing? No, I, I, I struggled a lot with that. And to be honest, to this day, I don't have a wide social circle. Uh, I have my few closest people. And that's sort of always been the case. And those who are who I consider my closest friends are more neurodivergent people. And I didn't realize until later after the ADHD diagnosis that that was a thing, that that was what we had in common. It was, oh, these people are like me, so they're not going to judge me for yeah, being all over the place. So um, when, you, when you think back on your childhood and we talk about social challenges, were you the kind of kid who, you know, blurted out, said things that you probably shouldn't have said, you know, or were you the kind of kid who was, you know, made commitments and then broke them? You were always late, unreliable. Was it a combination of both of those and other things? Can you kind of give us a picture of what the problems were? Kind of a combination of the two, uh, but ultimately it kind of led to, I, I felt like I didn't really understand the social games that were going on. Okay. And I just didn't get it and chose then to, after being told to be quiet or stared up, like, why did you say that? 
then I withdrew a bit and decided it was easier just to, at the lunch table in school, read a book. Just sit at an empty table and don't have to deal with the, the friendship politics of, of being in school. So I spent most of my free time reading books and engaged with other people when they talked to me. But I think it gave a lot of the a lot of people the impression uh, that I was standoffish or didn't care, which wasn't the case and led to a lot of sort of feeling alone and wishing other people would come and break that ice because I didn't know how to do it. And so, yeah, I had those closest friends who I had a connection with and then other people yeah, sort of left me alone, and that was okay. So did it change in college at all? I hoped it would, but I had an unusual experience in college in that I skipped the last three years of high school and went from being a freshman in high school to a freshman in college. What? How did that? Okay, so if you're telling me that, oh, you know, you weren't, um, you did fine in school, but it wasn't like you were getting straight A's. You were a good, strong test taker. So what led you to literally skip three years of high school? So fine for me was A's and B's. It was mostly A's, the occasional B, but I think it was knowing that I was smart and having been told my whole life that I was smart and that that was one of my biggest strengths was my intelligence. And so there was a talent search program for gifted students, and it was sort of geared towards uh, advanced placement uh, and sort of summer classes and things like that. I never actually went to any of them, but the requirement was actually taking the SATs that I took for the first time when I was 11 in sixth grade. Wow. Uh, and I don't know if that's still used anywhere else. So wait, uh, why or, were you taking the SATs at 11? Just because there was this new, this program? It was just how they gauged what level of advanced uh, classes you would be you would fit best into. And it seemed like a perfectly normal thing at the time, but I have no idea if this is used anywhere uh, or if that was a, an experiment that was only happened in one little place in time. So I took the SATs when I was 11, uh, not with the intention of getting into college, uh, but I scored an 1,100 out of uh, 1,600. It wasn't out of 2,400 like it is now. And that was, yeah, my my score for the these advanced placement uh, talent search program. So I was very proud of myself. Like I, I know enough that I could almost get into college, <laughs> and I think that's probably where it started. But it was also like a desire to prove myself because. I didn't have the best relationship with my father, but after I got the, the scores, then uh, I was so proud of myself. And I said, I, I took the SATs and I got this good score. He was like, I took the SATs early too. Like, eh. So it was, yeah, wanting to, to prove myself. And if that wasn't good enough, 
then I had to do more. Yeah. And so my mom was an independent graphic designer, and one of her clients was a liberal arts college, a small great books college near our house. So they had a summer program uh, in theater based on classic literature. So it was like a, a, a few week summer program where we read the Odyssey and then put on a play version of the Odyssey at the end of that period. So you're learning about this classic literature and then uh, performing it. And I thought that was so interesting. Uh, and then I found out they had an early entrance program where you didn't have to have finished high school to apply for this college. So I took the SATs again. Uh, and at this point, I was 14. Okay. I just uh, yeah, was in my, my freshman year of high school. And I applied for this early entrance program and was accepted with the condition that if you don't do well, then you go back to high school. And so it was just an alternative to finishing high school was then just going on to the, their university program. However, after the first semester, my family actually moved to oh. Colorado. Oh, my God. So I applied as a transfer student, having finished my first semester. And then all of that early entrance stuff went away. And I was just a normal transfer student at the age of 15 in my freshman year uh, in Colorado. Okay, so you were still living at home then. You moved with your family. Yes. So okay. I yeah, was commuting by train to this other college. Uh, it was called Scheimer College, and it was in Waukegan, Illinois. I think they've since moved, but that was a relatively, it was like a 45-minute train ride from my house okay to there so i was just commuting and staying at home while i was uh, at shimer college and then moved with my family i didn't have a driver's license and we then lived a half hour drive away from the other school but it was a half hour drive and they dropped me off for the first semester that i got my driving license and drove myself uh, and lived at home for the next year Jesse, what was that like um, being 14, 15 years old um, in school with kids that were so much older than you? Was that a good fit? Did you enjoy that more than, say, being in high school? In a lot of ways, yes. In some ways, looking back, I think I missed out on part of what's both the high school and college experiences are supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And that maybe goes with that not understanding the, the, the games that people play. I, I didn't realize that a large part of being in high school and a large part of the experience of being in college is the social aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought the whole point was just to learn and that at the end you you yeah you've you've learned a lot and you get your degree and that's what it's all about mm -hmm. and so I had a great experience and wouldn't change it 
but I don't know if I would want the same for my kids. Wow. Uh, that's, yeah, it was a completely different experience outside of the norm. And I didn't know that I was missing out on what for a lot of people's in, in some ways more important than the actual academic parts. Right. And especially if where you really struggled was socially and then you're thrown into, I mean, you're expected to, my, my sister graduated at 15 and she, again, she was so bright and she is so bright, but, and she always appeared, we're 13 months apart, but I'm the older sister, but she always seemed like the older sister. She was always so much more mature than I was, but still she missed out on those years you know, to socialize. And I think ultimately it probably affected her and still affects her. Well, I guess you've already told us, right? It did affect you, the social dynamics and being thrown into, if you're already struggling and then you're being thrown into a pool with kids that are even older. How do you ever yeah. catch up? So I didn't really end up socializing in, in college until my last year, mm. because then I was finally the same age as my classmates. But up until that point, I had just focused on academics and took basically double a normal course load just because I could. If I could fit it into my schedule because I didn't have a social life, yeah, then I just spent all of my time for the first two years just studying. And then the third year was more or less my last year because I had finished um, almost all the credits that I needed to do. And then my very last year, I had only one class and then went skiing. Oh. <laughs> so what did your family think about all this? Like your parents, were they, were they really proud that you were doing this? Or at any point in time, did they say, does this make sense? So I think I, I've had some conversations with my mom since saying, why did I let you do that? Like, why did I think that was a good idea? But she was just proud of me. And both she and my dad were the the first in their families to go to college. Uh. So the fact that I wanted to go to college, it didn't matter that it was early. That was even better. Just yeah. excel and, and do it. I and so we support you that you want to, to go to college and educate yourself. That's great. And so, yeah, my, my dad, he died when I was 16. So when mm. we had already moved uh, across the country from Chicago to Colorado, and I wish I could have talked to him, but we didn't have a, a very close relationship at that point. And it would have been nice to, to know what he thought, because I have no idea. Ah. I have no idea if he was, was proud of me, but just didn't want to show it. Or if he thought it was not a good idea, but didn't feel it was his place to say anything. Because at that point, my parents had been divorced for four years. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have a close relationship. I'm sorry about that. I know that feeling of always wondering, right? Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of conversations I would like to have with him now as an adult. Uh, but yeah, never had an adult relationship with him because a lot of things make me suspect he himself may have had ADHD as well, that he would impulsively 
quit jobs. Uh, he was an architect and, and he would impulsively decide to quit his job because he had decided he could do better somewhere else. His official diagnosis was actually bipolar. Uh, but on the other hand, he would only see doctors who agreed with his self-diagnosis of bipolar. So if they said anything else, oh. then he went and found another doctor. Wow. So, uh, yeah, a, a bit hard to know there, but there are a lot of things like stories from from my family and, and childhood that make me think that, yeah, maybe he and I share a lot of the brain wiring and brain chemistry that makes us who we are. I also see a lot of similarities with my mom, uh, but no one else in my family has been officially diagnosed. But I think in a lot of ways, they think there's no point and they sort of I don't want to say don't believe in ADHD, but I think it's so prevalent in our family that they just think, well, isn't everybody like that? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you graduate from college. And then what? Obviously, you've lived all over the world. Did you move right away or how did that all happen? So after I finished college, then I was 18 and really had no idea what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. A lot of people figure that out while in college, but I didn't exactly have the same experience. So I had worked in graphic design for my mom. That was my my first job. Uh, she had her graphic design studio in a separate building behind our house. So kind of like a home office, except it wasn't actually inside the house. And so those were my first after-school jobs were working for her and with her doing graphic design. And so I was familiar with all the software. I mean, even as a kid, I would play like making art in, in Photoshop. And so that was a great strength that I already knew these things. I hadn't studied graphic design, but I had uh, been the design editor for the newspaper, the school newspaper when I was in college. And so I decided I will use those skills and was working um, in graphic design for a local print shop, like a copy shop, the place where you go to get business cards made and stuff like that. So it wasn't very creative. <laughs> it wasn't very stimulating. And I decided maybe I need to leave the this 16,000 person town and go back to Chicago and I'll have more opportunities there. In the meantime, before making that move, I had decided that I wanted to change my life and that because I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I was still young and had so much time, I thought I will take a few years to figure it out. So I thought about if I should... Uh, continue with school and go for a master's degree or continue education. But I didn't really know what I wanted to study. And so I thought about, I had always loved the ocean, lived nowhere near the ocean. Uh, I had learned scuba diving when I was um, 14 or 15 years old. My aunt is a scuba diver and I had gotten my junior open water uh, diving certification as a, a teenager. And somehow, while I was searching the internet, looking for inspiration, 
about what I should do with my life. I found a scuba diving school in Thailand (laughs) and just made this plan. I was going to go there. And they had an all-inclusive program that included the dive gear, the accommodation, the uh, the training from advanced open water to becoming an instructor. So that sounded like a lot of fun, but it cost a lot of money. And I didn't have any money. And so I thought I will work in graphic design in Chicago, try my luck there. and try and save up money. Mm -hmm. I had actually paid a a down payment on this. And so it was, it was committed. I was committed. I was going to go and I just needed to find a way to get there. It took a few years from making that decision to actually going out there and doing it. My attempts to save money didn't really work out. And in the end, I had established enough credit history that I had a Citibank offered, like, gave me one of those fake checks in the mail and said, we have a loan of this much money. And I said, all right, I will just borrow the money and I will go because I'm not getting anywhere closer to my dream by living here. I was making more money, but I was spending more money. I was 21 in Chicago and there are lots of ways to spend money. And yeah, so it was a decision that happened slowly, but it was made honestly in an instant. Like a lot of my important life decisions were made instantly. Some might say impulsively, but the fact that it took a long time to get there and I stayed with that in the back of my mind and headed towards it makes it look on the outside like it was a well thought out decision Mm -hmm. rather than an impulsive one made in a split second. That's honestly what it was. It was just, this sounds exciting. So unlike anything else I've ever done. I'd left the country once before uh, for a five-week summer program to study Spanish in Mexico. And that was the first time I'd left the country on my own. But at least I'd had that experience of having left the country on my own. And yeah, between making the decision to go to Thailand on this program and getting there, I decided maybe that wasn't a great idea. Maybe this scuba diving school doesn't even exist. Maybe I wouldn't enjoy being a scuba diving instructor. So I'm going to hedge my bets and uh, make another option for myself. And I decided to get a TEFL certificate in teaching English as a foreign language. Mm hmm before going to Thailand so that I had a backup plan if I got to Thailand and needed something other than scuba diving to do. So instead of doing that in Chicago, which I could just as easily have done, there were no direct flights between Chicago and and Thailand. So I decided I will stop in the UK because I have a cousin who lives there and I knew one other person in the UK and at least they speak English. And I was leaving just before Christmas, so I yeah, would go to a place where they celebrate Christmas and spend a little bit of time, visit my cousin, and do this TEFL certificate. And then I realized I'd never been in Europe before. I should not just, just see London and nothing else. So I found cheap flights 
I just look for where can I go for less than $100 on a one-way ticket from London. And so I went to Paris uh, for five days or a week and stayed with one of my Tuple classmates who lived in Paris. She said, if you want to come and visit me, you can. So I just took her up on the offer right away and said, can I come and visit you now? And she accepted and I, I stayed with her and uh, then went to Barcelona for five days from there before going back to the UK. And while in Barcelona, my backpack was stolen with my laptop computer in it. And mm -hmm. it delayed my flight a bit because I decided not to have a new computer sent to this place in Thailand that I still wasn't entirely sure existed. And I bought a new computer, you know, used computer uh, MacBook on eBay and had it shipped to the house where I was living in London and left from there because I was going on my own, didn't know anyone and needed to have my computer to connect with the rest of the world and everything that I, I knew. So you graduate from college, you take a couple years, you've got this plan from the beginning, right? Um, that you're going to go to Thailand. You set all this up. And at what point do you start thinking about ADHD? Was it well after this or much later? It, it was only a few years ago. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until... So after starting kids. this business uh, and then starting another business and having two kids and two businesses and struggling and thinking, I need help, but what kind of help do I need? Like, what is wrong with me? Like, I can't keep things together. And I keep just anytime there's a little bit of room on my plate, I just put something else on it. Uh, yeah. And so it's always full. Why do I do this to myself? And then I just started researching and, and listening to audiobooks and hadn't yet discovered podcasts, actually, at that point, but reading articles and listening to audiobooks. Uh, and at some point stumbled across ADHD as a, not as a, started to think that it wasn't just something that I, I had heard of and didn't really understand. When I started to learn more about it, I was like, yeah, that's me. Like everything that you describe in these books, like that's me. How do you know? You know me better than anyone else has ever known me. And we don't even know each other. And realizing that that was, uh, that was probably what was going on in my, my head that's led me to make all of these decisions in, in my life that led it in a certain direction and basically shaped the course of my life because having chosen to go to Thailand and do this this thing that was where I ended up meeting my husband he was also at the same scuba diving school so I was there for one year and then ran at the scuba diving school I had I had well for half a year uh, it was meant to be a six-month program I did the first four months and then took a break before I went on for the instructor certification because I ran out of money. I had 
my plans for how much it was going to cost for living expenses, the housing was was included, everything was included, but I still needed to have meals uh, when I was on the dive boat and uh, had had that unexpected expense of buying a new computer. So I ran out of money sooner than I thought I would and decided to take a job as an English teacher. Because you had prepared, though. So it's not everything that you do actually seems pretty linear. And it sounds like, and stop me if I'm wrong, that you are a last 5% finisher. So you're not starting all these things and then not doing anything with them. You're actually planning, right? In advance, you're creating stop gaps in case there's something unexpected that comes up. I mean, it, it seems very linear, like your thought process. So I'm curious why you ever thought, oh, it might be ADHD, because it just seems like you're a badass and you have an idea and you get things done. Like it doesn't seem like a problem yet to me. Except that there wasn't really a, a fully developed plan. It was just something popped into my mind that this is what I want to do and then just some way appears between point A and point B, and it's not exactly linear, but you connect the dots. And that's what what happened that gives it some shape from the outside that this was planned. It just, yeah, the, the, the line in between was very squiggly and curlicue and went back and forth in, in all different directions. It's just when you draw between the two points and say there's a line, like, yes, there there is a line. It is in that way linear if you look from far enough away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The big picture, right? Yes. Versus, you know, what the next step is right in front of you. Our brains want it all. We love anything that is new, bright, sparkly, different. But that's often what keeps us distracted and feeling all over the place. So I have something that I know can help you. It's my free masterclass called, What Do I Do With My Life From Chaos to Confidence? This popular class will give you the tools to make faster, more confident decisions that actually serve you so you're doing what you really want to do instead of what others are telling you that you should do. You know, we try so hard to fit in when in reality, that's the problem. With our ADHD brains, our brilliant ADHD brains, we're not meant to fit in. We're actually meant to stand out. So that begs the question, where are we actually meant to stand out? Join me at spyhappy.me forward slash MC. That's spyhappy.me forward slash MC. And let's find out together. Now, Let's get back to our podcast. So I'm curious, did the thoughts around there's something going on, maybe it's ADHD, did it have anything to do with suddenly having children and then being, there's one other added level of responsibility, right? On top of everything else. Yes. And that motherhood adds a whole different dimension of things outside of your control and a whole different set of demands. I, I, I think in a lot of ways I succeeded by controlling my environment 
for example, by starting my own business, then I could choose to do the things that I'm better at and control my time and control things more than I could as an employee. As an employee, I never stayed in one place more than one year. I've now been running this restaurant for nine and a half years. Mm. That's but it's because you're able to do it. It's because you're able to do things your way, right? Yes. So I was it able to control my environment and get other people to do the things that I can't do and work with other other people. But it's harder to delegate the parental responsibilities. Yeah. And there's some flexibility there, but not as many opportunities to say, I'm not good at this. I need somebody else to do it. When it's it's your kids and this huge responsibility that that played a big role in feeling like my life had sort of derailed, uh, that I, I was losing control of my life because I had these dependent uh, kids who who needed me to provide direction for them and do so much for them. And I I didn't have a whole lot of control over what they did. And it made it hard for me to control myself also. And my emotions uh, were just a roller coaster. Mm. And feeling guilty for not working enough, feeling guilty for not being <laughs> with my kids enough, uh-huh. and just not feeling like I was doing anything right. Even though from the outside, everything looked fine. Yeah. Inside, I just felt I was sort of falling apart. And I I needed to figure out what was wrong so I could fix it. And so that was where I, I yeah, stumbled across uh, ADHD and learned a lot more about it and realized that sounds a whole lot like me. And there are a whole lot of people out there in the world who have been through the same thing. Yeah. And maybe not my exact situation, but they think the same way I do. And if I look to them for inspiration and instead of looking to other people who I'm just not like and I'm never going to be like and I'm not going to understand the way they think and what works for them won't necessarily work for me. And so I it opened my eyes so much when I... I think that was the biggest thing after the ADHD diagnosis was realizing I'm not alone. There's a whole community of people out there Mm -hmm. that understand my struggles. And I'm not a bad person for having terrible sense of time and being always late for everything, doing everything at the last minute, because that's because the the pressure of a deadline focuses my energy, mm-hmm. that those aren't bad things. They're things I had been criticized for my whole life. And I thought, I'm just not good enough, not living up to these expectations. And then realizing I can live with all of those things if I accept them. And learning to accept that this is my my personality and that it's not something I have to change unless it's really not working for me, that I can try. But it's not something I have to change that my ideal isn't to be like everybody else. 
Yeah. How did it change your relationship with your um, your husband? Not at all. Uh, he, really? Because he is one of those people that I was attracted to because he is like me. Ah. And we have a lot of the same struggles and shortcomings that but a lot of the same strengths and mm. so we play off of each other that i get random impulsive ideas and say let's do it and he says sure sounds like a good idea because when we met in in thailand honestly i thought it was going to be a fling uh because i had six weeks left in thailand before i was going to go work uh, as a scuba diving instructor in a sailboat in the caribbean and he was going back to iceland uh, and I said, have fun in Iceland. I have no interest in going there. And <laughs> where you live now, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew ever. nothing about Iceland. Yeah. Uh, Sounded sound cold. Yeah. So, but I, I just knew that I would rather be on a sailboat in the Caribbean. That sounded yeah. like more fun. So he went back to Iceland for the summer. I went to teach uh, scuba on a sailboat for a summer camp in the Caribbean. But we decided before we left that we were going to come back to Thailand. And so we spent the, the summer apart. We still wanted to see each other. So we went back to Thailand and uh, traveled together. Then uh, we did a bicycle trip around southern Thailand. I had done two, three bicycle trips, like, uh, yeah, around Thailand, basically from from Bangkok to Chiang Mai. Yeah, uh, and then another one from uh, Phuket to to Bangkok. And so I had him join me on one of these crazy adventures, and he was impulsive enough to say, "It sounds like a fun idea." He had some other plan that he was only planning to spend uh, three or four months in Thailand getting his uh, training as a dive master, a dive guide, mm -hmm. and was going to go back to Iceland to work in a bank because he had actually only just, he finished university much later than normal. I finished much earlier than normal. So somehow we ended up on the same sort of path where we were trying to figure out what to do with the rest of our lives. Wow. And so... He had this this idea before he left that he was going to go back and get a job in a bank because his degree is in financial engineering. And that was what he wanted to do. And I, before I left, had no real plan of what I would do after my six-month adventure that then turned into never going back because I didn't know, I had nothing to go back to, nothing specific. I didn't intend to leave the U.S. and never come back. It just sort of happened. <laughs> so the reason why your diagnosis did not change your relationship at all with your husband is because you chose someone who loved and appreciated you for exactly who you are, regardless. Yeah, he regardless. knew all of yeah. those. Yeah, all of those things about me from the beginning and that he had gone along with it from the beginning. And so I I planned all of our, our trips. So we, we were in Thailand and did this uh, bicycle trip and just went looking for a place to live and work as dive instructors. And so we found a place. We were bicycling through this place called 
Aonang in Krabi province, uh, not as well known as Phuket or Kopiti <laughs> as a diving destination, but we were diving in the same places. And we just fell in love with this beautiful landscape. There are these big limestone cliffs and the same beautiful beaches and fantastic scuba diving. So we decided we were just going to try to live there. And so we talked to some of the dive shop managers and said, we're, we're, Johan was a guide at that point, not an instructor, uh, but I had finished my instructor training. And I said, do you ever hire freelance uh, instructors and, and guides? And so we just talked to all of the, the shops and gave them our number and, and rented a bungalow. And they started to call us as the season started. And so we ended up just working there until the end of the dive season, and not on a formal employment contract, but just we would work for the, the shop that called us and said they needed somebody for the day. So we were both people who value adventure and freedom more than stability. Yeah, yeah. And so having that in common meant we were able to to do this and we didn't have to worry about we don't know where we're going to be in a month, next year, nothing. No real idea, not even of what comes next. We didn't even know where we were going to live in Thailand until we went to Krabi and said, okay, would you like to live here? And it all happened. It all fell into place. So how long were you dating before you realized that, okay, this is long term? And you had both made that commitment. So we had been together around six weeks, then spent the summer like three months apart and then met back up in Thailand, spent the next dive season there together. Did the same thing the following summer that uh, mm-hmm. I went to different Caribbean islands for the same company uh, on another sailing program and spent the summer apart from him. And he came back to Iceland. But again, after spending time apart, we still wanted to be together. And so in that way, I think that was the the test for both of us was we weren't dependent on each other. We both had independent lives, even though while we were traveling together, of course, we lived together right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like I was moving into his house. He wasn't moving into my house. We each had our suitcases full of stuff that didn't fill the, the furnished apartment that we had. So we kept independent lives, even though we lived together, and that we realized that we enjoyed spending time with each other, could spend time apart, but still wanted to go back to each other after spending time apart. And so after, yeah, he went to Iceland, I, I went to the Caribbean. Thailand was very far away, plus we'd been there, done that. So, new adventure, let's go to Mexico. And so we went to Mexico and uh, took a bicycling trip around the Yucatan Peninsula and explored different places uh, and decided we would like to live in Playa de Carmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did the same thing we had done in, in Thailand, where we talked to different dive shops about what is it like uh, to to live here and work here? Is it difficult to get work? I ended up getting 
offered a job uh, at an all-inclusive resort because I speak Spanish. He had a much more difficult time because they had a minimum of two languages and Icelandic doesn't count as a foreign language outside of Iceland. I can imagine why. (laughs) So you've had all these adventures. You're also very entrepreneurial, clearly. How did you teach yourself how to be successful at all of these things that you've done, all these businesses that you've created? Is it just second nature to you and you just learn by doing? Well, I should probably say that there's likely something genetic uh-huh. in my family. Uh-huh. And that uh, my mom uh, had her own graphic design business. Her sister, her older sister, uh, had a dog grooming business for her whole life that she just started that as a young woman and did that. She now has a winery or meadery with her with her husband in Chicago. And I have a cousin who has a chocolate, uh, Mayana chocolate, uh, based in Wisconsin, that they were in catering and started making chocolates, and that became their full-time business along with a yoga studio. I have a cousin who does uh, art installations for music festivals. And so she ran that company with her now ex-husband and now does that independently. So there are a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. Uh, Is your husband also an entrepreneur? Yes. So we started the the restaurant together. We started the hostel together. Uh, When he... When we were building the hostel, because the hostel was an abandoned fish factory when we took it over. Okay. And so we were running the restaurant at that point, and we got this idea that it would be good for for the town and for the restaurant to have overnight guests, not just draw people in, give them a meal, and send them on their merry way. So we decided... It would be great if there were a hotel here, but there's no there's no hotel. There's nobody going to build a hotel. So why don't we just do it ourselves? So, so, so the two of you are in business together. Yes. Okay. That has sort of changed because I handle all the the management of both of these businesses because while we were constructing the hostel, there was a, a huge project converting this old fish factory that had been abandoned for a few years into accommodation and so we were building slowly like piece by piece uh it's a huge building like twenty thousand square feet something like that so piece by piece we turned one section of it into a hostel with dormitory beds and a shared bathroom shared kitchen i had this feeling like right before we opened maybe this was a terrible idea maybe there's a reason there's no no hostel like who wants to stay in a hostel in Eirabaki Iceland but we had already committed at that point and we we opened the the hostel one month after our son was born and then carried on with construction of the next apartments uh, added a few apartments each year so now there are 16 apartments in that building 
the 36-bed hostel, and a section we still haven't developed yet that will hopefully, eventually, be a 30- or 40-room hotel, but it will take a while to figure out what Crooked Pass will take me to that point. But that's the end goal, is to get there to finish this building. Uh, But when we were constructing these apartments, he decided he preferred the construction end rather than the management end, that the day-to-day management of a hostel or hotel was not so interesting. He didn't enjoy working at the restaurants himself, uh, so he decided to start a construction company. Okay. And then started building and selling houses here in Erebaki. Okay. And so there's yet another business. Yeah, there there are multiple other businesses. I don't even know how many businesses there are in total because that wasn't his only construction company. He started another construction company with other business partners and another one with other business partners. And currently he has, I think, three different companies building properties right now. So does that mean, Jesse, that you're basically left to run the restaurant, the hostel, and this apartment hotel? Yeah. By yourself, pretty much. Yes. So how do you do that? Like, <laughs> and, and you know what? More than that, I want to know what are the ADHD traits that you have that you believe make this possible? The fact that no two days are the same keeps me engaged. And the fact that I stay engaged and motivated keeps everything running. Because when it comes to routine and repetitive day-to-day tasks, those are things I struggle so much with, like answering emails, uh, especially when they're the same question again and again. Yes. It's the first time they've ever stayed at our property, but I've answered this question a thousand times before, and it's really hard to stay as motivated to answer it the thousandth time. I'm assuming you have templated answers at this point. Oh, that makes me laugh because I do that often too. It's like if I just spent the 15 minutes putting together that template and then I could use it every time, but it's still not done. Yeah. So we we have uh, automatic emails that go out with the the confirmation uh, and before check-in and things like that that are just scheduled to go out, set it and forget it. But those answer most people's questions. But then the most common question we get, because we don't have 24-hour reception, is I'm arriving outside of the normal reception hours. And so they're contacting us for the, what do I do? And there is sort of a standard response, but it kind of depends on what time they're coming and whether it's a prepaid reservation or whether they're staying for more than one night, whether we can just check finish the check-in the next day. And yeah. so there isn't a standard response to all of those. But where I've been able to shape my environment to make things go better is by admitting that that is not a strength of mine <laughs> and getting somebody else responsible for answering the emails and handling the the check-in and the reception and other people working for me at the restaurant where 
I don't have to be every place at once. So my role is basically keeping everything together. And so building it up and keeping it together. And, and leading. So, and leading, right? But not having to do the everyday, monotonous, boring stuff that your brain doesn't. It's just right. not interesting. That's not exciting for me. And so I don't excel in, in those things that should be easy. And they are easy for other people. And so if they're easy for somebody else, then I can just get somebody else to do that. And so my responsibilities are more hiring the right people for the right position and figuring out then how many staff are needed for a summer season and making sure that hiring is taken care of either by doing it myself or by getting somebody who is responsible for taking over that part. And then for the restaurant, I'm working with our, our chefs to develop the menu, but most of the ideas come from them. I just steer them in the right direction. Yeah. And then I set the, the prices. And one thing that is a struggle for me, but I have I, learned to do it, is I'm not used to long time horizons, but I need to send travel agencies prices for 2025. Oh, wow. And so I just have set up a sort of formula for that. Uh, that's just projecting out. Uh, we expect to have a certain percentage increase. So I just have an Excel spreadsheet to just help me generate that so that I can make a price list for 2025, knowing nothing about what 2025 is going to be like. But if I have that price list, then I can take bookings. We deal a lot with school groups with the hostel. Yeah. So we have in a lot of cases, long lead time. So we have a lot of groups booked for next year, still more bookings coming in for next spring and summer, and then other bookings for next fall and yeah, spring 2025. So uh, having done that, that preparation work enables us to have those bookings in place before we start filling up with, with other guests. And so I do basically all the long-term strategy of figuring out where we're going and then trying to find a way to get there. And all of the design is me. So I get to engage with my creative side, uh, both the interior design, like everything in the apartments, like the design of each apartment was mine. And then I get to watch it come to life and happen. And then, uh, all the purchasing, like what furniture should we have in these apartments, uh, the curtains, the glassware, the dishes on the, the table in the restaurant, all of that is exciting to to pick out and put together and then see it in the restaurant. And go, oh, yeah, that came out very nicely. Uh, it sounds fun. It is so fun. I'd love to know you're born and raised in Chicago, right? Yeah. What's it like? living in Iceland. And do you wake up and sometimes think, how the hell did I end up here? Uh, sort of, especially when, okay, Iceland is not known for its fantastic weather. Uh, so we had a very rainy May, rainy and cold May. I was like, out of all the places in the world, why did I choose to live here? Uh, but I also don't know where else I would go. 
Uh, I enjoyed living like home? in... Sorry? Does it feel like home to you now? It does feel like home. And especially for this stage of, of my life, having these young kids, uh, that it's a great place for them to grow up. That I enjoyed living in Thailand and Mexico and Honduras as a young person, but I wouldn't really want to raise a family in any of those places. Don't really wouldn't really want to grow old and depend on the healthcare system in some of these places. That Iceland has a lot of advantages, but of course the main one was having Johan's family being from here and having opportunities here that we would not otherwise have had. We ended up getting into the restaurant business, not because either of us knew anything about running a restaurant, but because Johan's grandfather owned a quarter of the restaurant and the, his business partners who owned the other 50% wanted to sell. And we were approached with this, this option and we had a chef who was supposed to come into, us, uh, come into this with us at the beginning. And he changed his mind, but we said, well, we're, we're committed, so we'll go through with it. But that wouldn't have happened without the family connections. Uh, and for the family, like for, for our kids, they're close to their grandma and grandpa. Actually, the kids are in Tenerife right now. They're coming home tonight. They've been there for the last 12 days with Johan's parents and his sister and her kids. And so they're, they're close to this part of their extended family. We try to visit my mom in the U.S. and my, my brothers and try and visit them and have some connection. But because we don't have a close physical relationship, uh, that's they're on the other side of the world. At least they have this whole part of their family. Uh, Johan has a brother and a sister. And yeah, his parents were all in the same 500-person village. And... So those family ties make things, makes a nice environment for them. And then in a lot of ways, it's like stepping back 50 years in time in terms of the kids can just go out on their own. They don't have phones. They don't have, I don't need to worry about where they are or when they're coming home. If they're not home at dinner time, I have some idea what friend's house they're, they're at. And they wouldn't have that same sort of freedom most other places in the world. I would have to worry. I would have to know where they are. Here, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing that's going to happen. Not until later. And they, they have, you know, cars and friends with cars. And they could go and get into trouble somehow. But they have a lot of freedom uh, being here. And I have a lot fewer worries of not having to start a college fund right now for my young kids because there's free university education. Yeah, and it's good. Yeah. So what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? So for me, it's been figuring out what my strengths are and playing to my strengths instead of feeling like I always have to make up for my weaknesses. Because I spent a lot of time trying to get good at things that I'm not naturally good at, and I made progress, but was always going to end up behind other people that those skills come naturally to. 
and realizing that I have a lot of strengths that other people don't necessarily have that are in in demand, uh, like creative problem solving is you know, one of my great talents that is most used, that I am I'm the one who has to find a solution for the, the problems. Any problem that comes up, I have to find a solution, but I have this great talent for divergent thinking where I can come up with a lot of possible ways to tie these things together or take care of this situation or that one. And so solution to the problem usually just presents itself more or less fully formed by synthesizing from all of these other experiences and yeah, realizing that I have a lot of unique strengths and a lot of that comes from just how my ADHD brain is is wired and the experiences that it's given me that I can jump all in if I find I'm interested in some new topic and I can lose all interest in it later or don't need to use that uh, that knowledge necessarily after I've done my deep dive and gone all in but it stays with me something from it stays with me and I can call on that later and synthesize all of these different experiences and turn them into something that sort of makes sense. So what has your diagnosis done for your confidence? And you were talking about you struggled with a lot of the, you know, RSD and maybe some rumination. What has it done for that? I think the... Perfectionism. That was one of the ones that you were alluding to. Not alluding to, you flat out said it. Yes. (laughs) That... As I mentioned before, feeling like I'm not alone and realizing that I'm not alone and being able to have some direction in terms of what sources I can go for inspiration when I need inspiration. And for example, your podcast has been extremely helpful to have inspiring stories about other people who have experience things similar to what what I've experienced and having the same struggles, that that has helped so much to know where I can turn to for inspiration, for advice, for hearing what other people, how other people with a brain like mine have tackled the problems that, that I face. And that has made a big difference for me and accepting myself. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround that you lean on often? I really do better with some sort of organization that is hard for me to implement for myself because if I make it myself, then I also know that it's not that important. And so, like, I've tried to, to set a, a daily schedule for myself. doesn't really work. Wait a, minute. Wait, wait, wait a second. If you make it for yourself, then you know it is not important. What does yeah. that mean? Uh, in the sense where I, I, I will only put commitments to other people on my calendar. Oh. Because if it's something that I scheduled because I say I'm going to do this today, when something else comes up, I'm mm. going to blow it off. 
because mm. this is only an agreement between me and myself and it doesn't really matter when it gets done. I will reschedule that one, this plan that I, I had. So my days never go according to plan. And I try to have some sort of structure for my days that's sort of gone out the window with the kid being on summer break, but using their daily routine and building some sort of daily routine for myself around that. So for example, when the kids are out the door, gone to school, then take the dog for a walk or a run before starting my day because exercise helps me a lot. But when I don't have any sort of routine and I can fit it anywhere into my wide open schedule, then it just, the fact that it could happen anytime means that it happens no time. I never pick a time to do it. And so if I just have that as a, a fixed point in my day, unless something else comes up that needs to be dealt with right away, then that's the routine is just as the kids are, are on the school bus, then I go up for the dog, go out with the dog for a walk or a run. So have you ever considered that maybe the commitments you make to yourself are more important than all the other ones? I've considered it. And I, 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 don't, I don't mean that I put everybody else first all the time, but I do sometimes. I, I, I do need to watch out for that, especially because I have a lot of commitments to other people. I have around... Yeah. 15, 15 or more employees. Uh -huh. I have my kids. I have my in-laws. I have everybody else. And so if I know that those others are taken care of, then it's easier for me to give myself some, some time. And while the kids have been gone uh, for these last 12 days, my husband and I have been building a deck in our backyard, it was a project that we have been planning to work on, mm. but it was hard to find the time. And so we used the opportunity while we don't have to stop at a certain time for dinner and bedtime routine to use that time for ourselves. And so we, we planned for that. But then yeah, when something else came up, then we dealt with the other thing so that we could relax and go back to... yeah what we plan to do just for ourselves. Got it. Okay, so I'm sure there's someone listening to this podcast who is thinking, I'm traveling to Iceland. What is the name of this restaurant, hostel, hotel? Can you give it to us? Yes, so the restaurant is called Reidahuses, which means the Red House. So you can also Google the Red House if you have no idea how to write Reidahuses. In the village of Eirabakje, it's on the south coast uh, of Iceland, around 45 minutes from the capital, on the ocean. And the apartment hotel is called Bakje Apartments and Hostel. Uh, Bakje just being a shortening of Eirat Bakje, because that's hard to spell. So Bakje Apartments and, and Hostel uh, yeah, combine into one property. Wonderful. So where can people find you? And we'll have that in the show notes, because... Yeah, I'm not sure I got it. Um, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? Uh, it's probably not so easy to find 
information about me. I am one of those few people that is not very active on social media, mm. and, uh, which isn't a great thing since I am in a public facing uh, business role, but it's enough. It's, it's enough for me to try and manage the, the social media for the restaurant and the, the hostel and the websites and all of that, that there isn't much uh, energy left for social media for myself. So uh, I'm more behind the curtain in a lot of ways, but my voice is in the, the uh, yeah, Baki hostel and apartments and the, the restaurant media. That's my voice and my pictures. And uh... Okay, okay. So it's the social media for the Baki Hostel and the, what is the Rauda Husid? Is that the, excuse my pronunciation. Is that the um, restaurant, the Red House? Yes, the Red House. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Jesse, thank you so much for spending time with us here today and sharing your story. It was such a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's been a pleasure. So. That's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Jesse, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.